G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hello, it's Neil Johnson and welcome to today's 2020 podcast on the Vision Radio Network. Remember, you can hear 2020 weekdays on Vision from 10am Australian Eastern Standard Time. Well, Australia heads off to the polls to vote in the federal election tomorrow to elect their parliamentary representatives. Whilst voting is compulsory, it can still be a little confusing. Matt Gies is seeking to get all the answers on the process of how to cast your vote with Evan Eakin-Smith from the Australian Electoral Commission. Evan, with the election coming up, there's still probably a few questions in people's mind because they may have been getting conflicting information about how to vote. The Australian Electoral Commission is running the election, so who better to talk to about this Firstly, let's take a look at the election itself. It's going to be two different electoral papers that people are going to get on polling day, isn't it? That's right. You get a green ballot paper, which is for your House of Representatives division, and you get a white ballot paper, which is for the Senate. And there is two different voting processes for each ballot paper. So on the green ballot paper, the House of Representatives, you need to number one through to the end. So it depends on the amount of boxes on your ballot paper, but you need to number every single box consecutively in the order of your choice. Okay, now that's a little different to some other elections in the fact that sometimes you can just vote one for the particular candidate that you want rather than having to vote for every single one, isn't it? That's right. There's different electoral systems around the country, uh, but if you're voting federally, you do need to fill out every single box on your House of Representatives ballot paper. Okay. Now, how does this? Why is this so? Why is the uh, federal paper different to other voting systems, state by state? Sure, it's just a different electoral system. Um, but basically, what it does is it allows you to mark preferences. So you, you put a number one in the box of your, your favourite candidate um, through to the last number of your least favourite candidate. So, and, and what happens is that you, your vote can actually, if it can't get counted for your first preference, it can then get potentially counted for your second preference and so on. So it's just making sure that you get your say. All right. We'll come back to looking at, at what preferential voting is and how it works a little bit later on. But also looking at the Senate paper, once again, as you said, you've got two choices on the Senate paper. You can either vote above or below the line. Now, we hear a lot about this, so can you explain to us what the difference is here? Sure. If you vote above the line, what you're doing is you're marking a number one in the party or the group of your choice. So all the boxes above the line are are political parties or Senate groups. Uh, And if you do vote above the line, what happens is that it it follows the the party or the group's group voting ticket. So um, during the election cycle, um, a party or a group puts in a group voting ticket which allocates their preferences, how they want the preferences to flow for all the individual candidates on that Senate ballot paper. So if you mark a number one for party A, uh, your vote will follow party A's group voting ticket, their flow of preferences. Okay. Now, of course, you can vote below the line. Um, and in that case, you do need to number every single box consecutively in the order of your choice. And, and you're voting for individual candidates there. Now, of course, people will prefer to vote either above or below the line. But just in election terms, uh, how often do you get people who want to 
really make sure their vote is very specific and voting below the line. Is that a common thing or, or not so common? It's more common for people to vote above the line than it is for them to vote below the line. But, of course, that that varies from state to territory and um, all around the country. Um, in New South Wales, in the 2013 election, you're looking at 110 candidates. So you actually need the number boxes from number one to number 110. Um, so obviously a lot more people in New South Wales choose to vote above the line than they do in the ACT where you're looking at maybe 25 candidates. Right. Okay. Now, does this include uh, any independents who are running for the Senate? If you want to vote for an independent candidate, will you still be able to vote above the line or would you have to vote below the line to make sure that your vote for an independent candidate counts? Uh, if an independent is part of a party group, if they formed a party group, a Senate group rather, above the line, then they'll have a box above the line. But most often, yes, independents are below the line. And if you do want to um, mark your preference uh, in the order of your choice for an independent, so say you want to mark a number one for an independent, you will need to go below the line. Fair enough. All right, well, let's take a look at preferential voting, Evan. It's a thing in Australia that makes our electoral system sometimes a little bit complicated and people are, are probably not always sure how it works. So can you give us a little bit of a, a basic understanding of what is preferential voting, why is it so important, and how does it work? Uh, sure, it can be a little bit confusing um, between different systems. Um, but basically, if um, you mark your preference for the candidate of your choice, and it depends on whether you're looking at the House of Representatives or the Senate, but if you mark the number one for the candidate of your choice, and um, during the counting process they are struck out because they have the least amount of votes, uh, we then go to your second preference and, and, and so on. And it can work in the reverse order, again, depending on which, which contest you're looking at, um, that we actually strike a quota and somebody's elected and we can get those surplus votes and transfer them on at a different transfer value. So uh, what it does, preferential voting, is just makes, makes your vote count no matter what happens during during the um, count for either the House of Representatives or the Senate. Okay, so basically no matter which way the, the vote goes, by voting preferentially, you can actually have a, a wider impact on which candidate does or does not get elected. That's exactly right. And you look at systems where, um, take the UK for example, they've got first-past-the-post voting, and what first-past-the-post is is just a number one. Um, only, and um, they do a, a simple tally, which would be quite an easy count, mind you, but a simple tally, um, and whoever gets the most votes is elected. So it's very different, and um, you can imagine if um, somebody gets elected, say you've got 100 electors in, in that particular contest, and somebody gets elected with, uh, you know, 85 votes, and there's, there's um, two candidates who are being elected, those, those surplus votes they don't matter because your candidate would have been elected with 60 votes. So essentially you're looking at just getting a wider spread of say for your vote. All right. Now, when it comes to voting for individual candidates, people are wanting to make an informed vote and sometimes can be a little bit confused about you know, who stands for what in their particular electorate. They may see a, a candidate from a particular party or putting themselves out there as an independent. How can they find out more about each of the individual candidates without having to go knocking on each electoral office door or sending an email to each of the individual candidates? Does the Australian Electoral Commission actually compile information about who the candidates are and what they're standing for or where they're going to be directing preferences? The AEC does compile information on who the candidates are and you can find that all from the AEC website, which is aec.gov.au. Uh, we've got a big banner on the homepage which says, who should I vote for? Who can I vote for? 
and uh, you click on that and you can find all the candidates in your relevant um, state or territory or indeed in your electorate for House of Representatives as well. Um, in terms of policies, no, the AEC doesn't get involved in that. We're apolitical and we leave that to the parties themselves, the candidates um, and the media. So uh, your, best, your best port of call if you want to find out who's running in your seat or your Senate contest um, is to, to look at the AEC and you can find a list. But if you then want to go and find out what they stand for, you do have to go to the media or to the candidates themselves. Does the AEC actually provide contact details for each of the candidates or does that sort of go outside of the scope of what they're trying to do? Uh, we do for most. Um, if you look on our website, there will be contact details for a lot of candidates. Um, but some people, um, you know, for privacy reasons and in personal issues, do have um, their contact details suppressed. And in those cases, we don't advertise that on the website. Now, we spoke a few weeks ago about making sure that you're enrolled before the close of writs and encouraging people to make sure that their address details and all that are up to date. But when it comes to that sort of thing, when you look at who you are in a particular place in whatever state or territory you're living in, you're divided up into electorates. How can you find out where your electorate is and, and what sort of area your electorate covers? Uh, once again, I'm guessing the AEC would cover that sort of information because it would be important, wouldn't it? <laughs> Very important. Uh, we have a tool on our website which is uh, find your electorate. So you can actually search by postcode or your suburb or location and it'll tell you what your electorate is. Um, and then once you find that out, you can click on the link um, for your electorate and it'll give a little bit of a profile of the electorate. We've got a map there which shows you exactly where the boundaries are um, and a bit of a profile as to you know the main business areas and stuff like that within your electorate. So that's quite handy. And then you've got your links there um, for the candidates, as we've discussed, um, but also for the polling places and the early voting centres that you can go to to actually cast your vote. All right. Well, there's the other important aspect that I wanted to uh, have a chat to you about, Evan. Polling places and early voting. Um, where, How many polling places do you generally have per electorate? Is it just sort of, okay, you've got one key place per electorate where you go to? And how do you know whether you're eligible to vote early? You're eligible to vote early uh, if you can't make it uh, on polling day for a number of reasons, and that can be, you know, things like you're getting married, you're you're due to have a baby, um, you, you're you're travelling. There's a, there's a number of reasons, but if it's inconvenient for you to go on on election day, please do turn up and cast an early vote because uh, above all, we we want you to have your say, whether it's early or on election day. Um, uh, if you're looking for polling places, again, aec.gov.au, there's a big where button on the on the homepage and um, there's an easy tool which you can find which will link you through to all of that information. You're looking around the country at around about 8,000 polling places, so that's on election day, so that's, that's a lot. It is. <laughs> um, so you can imagine there's only 150 divisions, so uh, it's not just one key area within your division. Um, there's, there's a lot of options for you to be able to conveniently cast your vote. Um, and if you, you are travelling, you're interstate, we do have interstate voting centres, so just make sure uh, that you find an interstate voting centre on our, on our tool on our website and you can go there to cast your vote as well. Now, I've seen some friends of mine on Facebook already noting that they have voted early at uh, consulate generals in places overseas. That's right. We've got uh, 102 places overseas, uh, and it is places like consular generals and stuff. And uh, when you're looking at some of the major locations, uh, you're looking at London and Singapore and Hong Kong. Uh, Australia House in London was actually the busiest polling place of any polling place, including 
um, locations in Australia in the 2010 election, we took just over 16,000 votes. So we do do a fair amount of overseas polling as well. Well, just finally, Evan, how do the votes get counted? What happens after we've put our um, vote in the box and uh, the electoral uh, the polling booth closes because I, I believe polling booths are open from eight in the morning until six at night. So once that six o'clock mark reaches and the polling booths are shut, what happens to the votes after that? Yes, well, it's a long day for polling officials. They don't get to uh, shut up shop at six and then head home. <laughs> we have to count the votes. Um, so what happens on election night is we actually we do the House of Representatives first and we count um, preferences there. Um, and then you move on to the Senate. And we just count uh, first preferences for the Senate uh, on election night. And then uh, everybody who's um, voted below the line and the preference flows and everything is actually done by a computerised system. So we've got a system of uh, double data entry. We, we key in the preferences twice into our system. Uh, and then it gets counted by the computer in what we call a central scrutiny in each uh, state and territory. So there's a lot of counting done on election night because House of Representatives can take some time. And then we do the Senate. Right. And of course, uh, there are things like scrutineers and all that from the different uh, political candidates who are there as part of the process as well, isn't there? Absolutely. It's a completely open and transparent process. Um, scrutineers can come along and they can observe the counting process and they can ask questions uh, just to make sure everything is getting done correctly. All right. Well, it's an interesting uh, process and I look forward to hearing how it all pans out once the election is over and done with. Evan, thanks very much for giving us a little bit more of an insight into how Australia's voting system works. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.